Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Cole Schultz, assistant coach with the Kansas City Mavericks. Cole has a unique background, finding himself in various roles at the NCAA and AHL level before getting behind the bench with Kansas City in the ECHL. His approachable personality and attention to detail go a long way in his success to date, and he also sheds light on some great hockey minds who he has interacted with throughout his career. With that, here is Cole Schultz, assistant coach with the Kansas City Mavericks. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day, and the best part is it's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app, go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Cole Schultz, assistant coach with the Kansas City Mavericks. Cole, thanks for joining the podcast. Appreciate you having me, Ryan. Definitely, definitely. I think it's uh, it's very exciting to get you on, and I always love ECHL um, guests or, or people who are in that position. Just you know, with my own experience with Newfoundland Growlers, it's always been a league that uh, interests me personally. But uh, we also have an opportunity here to to shed some light on your experiences, which have included multiple levels. So. Let's just start off by learning more about you personally, maybe give some people some background on you, including where you're from, and just talk about playing sports and things throughout your early years. Well, I'm uh, I'm actually from here in Kansas City, uh, a small suburb just outside of it called Overland Park. Um, 
actually got a relatively late start when it came to hockey. I was more so a baseball, basketball guy. Um, and then soccer, of course, because every kid plays soccer. And then um, from there, my family bounced all around between Massachusetts, North Carolina, and back here in Kansas City. On our move to North Carolina, though, however, we uh, we ended up moving in next door to Paul Maurice, who was then the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes and is now with Winnipeg. Uh, really ended up becoming close family friends with them. And that kind of kickstarted the whole loving hockey thing. And, and it's kind of odd because it starts in a Southern market and it's not really necessarily revered as a hotbed, right? Uh, but my first ever professional hockey game I attended, that was meaningful because like I went to a Blues Predators game here in Kansas City at Kemper Arena for a preseason, was game three of the 02 Stanley Cup uh, final. Uh, it was Detroit versus Carolina, that triple overtime game where Igor Lariana ripped my heart out. But um, <laughs> but no, it's uh, that's kind of the catalyst to my love for the game. And, and from there, I grew up playing in various youth hockey organizations between North Carolina and Kansas City. And then uh, from there, went and played club hockey at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Spent three, four years there. And then from there, it's kind of just been a little bit of a whirlwind uh, started coaching youth hockey and it was my senior year, I believe. And from there, it was one of those things where I refell in love with the game and coaching and teaching. And there's really two ways to stay in it. And it's kind of become an agent or, or basically find a way to coach. And I was really fortunate in that Tom Saratori took a opportunity on someone that candidly was just very green. Um, got to go be his director of operations and a volunteer coach for him during the 14, 15 season. He was kind enough to fly me down to Naples after that, where I linked up with the uh, university of Maine and, and red gender in there uh, was able to trigger that into a job. Two years later, I'm in Stockton. And now two years after that, I'm here in Kansas city. So the whirlwind keeps going. Yeah. The path is, uh, it's surreal. Sometimes you really never know where you're going to be the, the next season, but um, you know, people who are successful in the game, they kind of make it work. You always have that next position and, and you make the connections along the way. But we'll go through each step, obviously, of your career and, and get into, uh, you know, all those that you mentioned there. But first, I want to talk about maybe some earlier experiences, just working with camps and youth programs in Raleigh and uh, the early lessons you learned before really going into maybe that next stage of your career. For sure. Um, well, I, I got to thank the Junior Hurricanes a lot. So my uh, my senior year, I ended up getting a concussion and I wasn't able to play for the back end of that season. And it was like December 22nd or something when it happened. And with the way that USA Hockey works, you have to have your coaching staff solidified by, I believe, December 31st uh, for them to continue to be on the bench. So they expedited my process to start working with a Bantam team right after that. Um so I worked in the Bantam travel program for, for quite a bit of time and had an unbelievable time. It was a great group of kids. It was a great group of parents. And I was very fortunate in my, what was it, two years coaching in Raleigh, or three years coaching in Raleigh Youth Hockey, where I had awesome teams, like parents, kids, like everyone had the right perspective on youth hockey in terms of like, we're here to work hard. We're here to have a lot of fun. And and we're here to learn life lessons. It wasn't necessarily about like, I need to get this scholarship or I need to go play junior here. Or, I need to go to prep here. It was legitimately like you focused on the hockey and the growth aspect of things and whatever came from it came from it. Um, so that was huge for me. And, and I was very fortunate to have a guy by the name of Tim Selcox take me on as his assistant. 
And then I was even more fortunate two years later to have my best assistant coach I've ever had in my life and Terry Hoey, um, who I'm still in close contact with today, but he, uh, he was the best parent coach that you could have potentially asked for just because he was the one that really outlined all those perspectives and kept all the parents in check. So it allowed me to kind of do my thing and, and just teach nuance to the game as opposed to focus solely on wins and losses. And, and in terms of youth hockey, that's the best experience I probably could have had just to kickstart all of this. Yeah. It's always great when you have that early experience and, uh, working with youth programs and, and youth teams is always a lot of fun. It's something I've I've been able to do the last number of years. But, um, you know, with that in mind, your goal definitely, if you want to make a career in hockey, is always making that jump to uh, maybe a full-time position or, or junior or college hockey or something along those lines. And your next step would be at, at Bemidji State and, and working there. So just talk about some of the tasks that you had in your role there and kind of just your entire process uh, in working with the team. Yeah, so I'll start with the hiring process there. Um, Tom Saratori did everything he could not to hire me. Um, <laughs> so it was, uh, I was very green and, and candidly, there was probably more qualified candidates at the time. Uh, but I was really fortunate in that he called Paul Maurice and, and Paul Maurice gave me a recommendation on my behalf. And uh, Tommy, like to his credit, eventually ended up giving me this job and and from there, my main goal and responsibility was pre-scouting and, and that sort of thing and just kind of set the table for the coaching staff in order to come in and operate in the way that they needed to in order to make our team as successful as possible. Um, but the other great part about Tom is that he really put me in a position to succeed there. Uh, and that started my first week there. He flew in Jeremy Koopal, who's now the uh, video coach for the Edmonton Oilers. He was with the Nashville Predators at the time, and he taught me XOs. Like he basically just said, hey, whatever you break, they'll fix. So just dive in and go and learn and and make mistakes on the computer and like download their phone number into your phone right away because like you're going to call it all the time. So like when he kind of gave me that green light and showed me like the basics and, and foundations to XOs, it, it was really easy for me to take off. Um, as the year went on, Tom gave me more and more responsibilities in terms of pre-scouting, setting the table with – Essentially, this is what they're doing on their power play breakout, penalty kill, sort of stuff like that. And he's a penalty kill guru, so it was just nice to be able to sit in those meetings and, and kind of learn. And then uh, I got to work really hand-in-hand -hand with Ted Belisle for a little bit in terms of pulling video on potential recruits and prospects and and kind of being able to just give them a second look because, like, unfortunately in the college game, right, like you've got two assistant coaches. You can only be in so many places at so many times where and there's not like a real scouting staff or anything like that so i my job there was to kind of just alleviate some burdens on them and and give them additional film in terms of finding the right prospects to come play beaver hockey and so um i couldn't be any more grateful to spend a year in god's country as it's affectionately referred to up there it's it's cold it's really cold um <laughs> but it was an unbelievable experience and i'll never forget it yeah, no, it, it's great when you, again, we can get into an opportunity like that and, and have people who are willing to teach you. And definitely the, the vote of confidence from Paul Maurice was was probably a driving factor there for sure. But uh, ultimately, you went in there and did the work and, and were able to take on different roles and, and, and then continue to develop and grow. And that kind of led into your next position then with Maine. Um, talk about that position and maybe the overlap in both business operations and hockey operations and also touch on the importance of being knowledgeable in both areas kind of moving yeah. forward. 
it was uh it was a roller coaster to be honest with you um i was swimming for a little bit when i first got there um so red jenner who just passed away and has been a giant mentor in my life um i can't thank him enough for everything that he provided for me in terms of the hockey analytics side, the video side, like he's kind of like one of the original video guys, like with what he did in New Jersey. So he understood the hours that it took and, and the amount of time and preparation that you needed to spend in order to be successful in this game. And uh, he passed that down to me for sure. And it was wild because essentially like for me and working for red on his video and analytics, like it's a full-time job where you're working 60 to 70 hours a week and, with that guy's sleep schedule mixed with our assistant coach at the time, Ben Gite's schedule, like he had two young kids. So he's not doing any work until 9 p.m. And then when Red's asleep and then all of a sudden, so I'm getting text messages at 9.15 saying, hey, I need this video done for tomorrow morning's meeting at 8 o'clock. And then Red doesn't sleep. So at 3 in the morning, he's texting me and saying, hey, I need this done. And so all of a sudden, my hours are all out of whack and all out of funk. And, and that's just the hockey side of it. And then from there, I had – a pretty big hand in terms of our community engagement media relations and all that stuff so on top of the 60 to 70 hours a week that you're putting into video you're you're also doing another full-time media job in terms of organizing interviews and being with the marketing team and having those meetings and understanding like hey this player needs to get out in the community more or we need to do this more here to help push tickets or just form goodwill and you're kind of just balancing act and a juggling act and you're trying to find time to just sleep or shut it down or do whatever and um i can honestly say that those 90 hour 100 hour weeks like they've prepared me up until this point so whenever i have felt slightly overwhelmed or anything like that like you kind of cycle back to it and you're just like well all right if i could survive that and what was going on then like I can definitely swim through this and tread water for a little bit until things settle down. So uh, it was a crazy experience. It was a wild experience. Like Maine will always be a very, very special place to me. Um, it's where I've, I've met my best friend. It's the life experience that, that comes from it. You just, you really feel immersed with that. And like, it's like a lot like Bemidji in terms of like, it's such a small knit community that, and it's the only game in town, right? Like in, in Bemidji, you had to drive four hours to get to the cities and like find a professional hockey team, right? Same with being in Orno, you got to drive four hours to find the Bruins and there's nothing between Orno and there, like you're it. And your community feeds off of that. And it was just so cool to just be a part of that mix in terms of like people just going out of their way to try and make your life easier just because you're associated with that jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you can get into a program like that, it's, uh, you know, it, it can help you in the long run and definitely mentor like that who, who's teaching you all those lessons along the way and um, teaching you maybe that hockey really and truly isn't a nine to five job, you know, three in the morning, sometimes you're going to have to to bunker down and, and do some video work, especially in that line of work. It's a, it's a whole nother realm of the hockey operations uh, spectrum, but um, you know, it definitely prepared you for, for the grind of the game and, and those next steps in your career. And uh, soon enough, you'd find yourself in the pro game this time at the AHL level with Stockton and the opportunity to work with pro players and out of responsibility and team services was a little bit different, but maybe walk us through the process of joining that team and then touch on that role as well. Yeah. So the summer after I left Maine, um, it was, I, I basically took two months. It was one of those situations where I felt that I had 
reached my peak of growth in terms of what I could provide to the University of Maine and in turn what the University of Maine could provide to me. Um, so I left on really good terms and, and forever grateful for it. And then from there going to Stockton, uh, Brad Pascal posted something on a job site. Luckily, Ben Gite had worked with Jordan Sigalette, who was the goalie coach in Calgary at the time. And I believe he's their director of goaltending now. And put in a good word for me, ended up talking to Brad P, had a couple of really good conversations with him and Ryan Huska, uh, ended up not getting the job. Uh, <laughs> it was actually, I got a phone call and was told, hey, we're, we're going in a different direction. And and then all of a sudden, two weeks later, I get another phone call and they're like, hey, that, that other situation is not going to work out. Uh, we would love for you to come and be a part of it. And it's like, all right, well, now I'm packing my stuff and we're moving to California. So packed my stuff, drove across the country. And um, the fortunate part about working in professional hockey after working for Red was that a 40 game college season is a cakewalk in terms when you compare it to a 68 game AHL season working for that guy. He was, uh, he prepared me extremely well. Um, the one time that I really felt like I was swimming though was when we were in Penticton for our first development camp and literally nothing worked with Exos. Like, it just was one of those weekends where nothing was going to go right for me. And like, so of course, like I'm in a sweat and I'm in a panic and I'm like, great first impression. Um, but luckily, Kale McLean took me aside, who was the assistant coach, who's the head coach in Stockton now, and just goes, hey, like, just take a breath. Like, it's going to be okay. And from then on out, like kind of everything settled in, settled down and, and got to stop swimming as much. And in terms of the hockey and analytics side, like I couldn't have been in a position where I could have learned more. Um, Chris Snow, Brad Paschal, like the coaching staff there, they all put me in positions where I could just ask questions and just essentially just be a sponge and take everything in for an entire year. And, and they were all great about it. Then working with Brad P, um, I, I was in charge of about approximately a million dollar budget. Um, and in doing so that that just added another tool into my toolbox in terms of like how do you travel and like you have to set these parameters but you have to make sure like yeah the cost is there and like you get there but at the same time are you fitting it within this window and then once you fit it within this window it's how close of an nhl experience are you providing to your american league guys right because that's also important you want to make sure that the meals are comparable and like yeah there's an aspect to the jungle in terms of like it's not going to be as glorious. There's a reason why the AHL is called the always hungry league and the NHL is called the never hungry league. Um, but at the same time, you want to make sure that everything's as buttoned up and tightened up as possible. So when the guys do get that NHL experience, they're like, all right, well, maybe he was doing a better job than what I was thinking in Stockton and all that stuff based off everything that was going on. And I will say this about, about the flames in general is they do a good job of, making sure that their American league team is well fed. They're well taken care of. They're in good areas, like making sure that everything that comes along with being an American league player, like they're in a place where they're going to develop and, and move on and go forward. And I was just fortunate enough to be a part of like that organization. And you see how many guys have graduated from Stockton to Calgary with Andrew Mangiapani, Rasmus Anderson, Dylan Dubé, David Riddick, John, like a whole bunch of guys have made it to the NHL, right? So it's awesome to be a part of something where you see how many NHL prospects they're able to turn out. But at the same token, 
it's awesome to work with just such a great group of individuals and people between Brad and Husk and Kale and Pitter and Joe and Zoo and all the other countless people that I'm forgetting on the support side with, with everybody. Like I was just in a very, very good spot in order to help me grow. Yeah. And sometimes that's half the battle, especially going into the pro game, because like you said, you sometimes you're, you're, you get your forces swim or you throw into the wolves. But if you have the, that right staff in place and, once again, the development that you had in Maine in in always being ready for the for a task or kind of working those extra hours, it was a, a much easier transition. And uh, you continued on that pro game, uh, spent some time with Stockton, really worked on your craft there. And like you said, worked with budgets and, and got all those responsibilities. And uh, the East Coast Hockey League, as people know, is small staff and there's a lot of tasks and responsibility, again, for people in those positions. And today you find yourself with Kansas City. Um, maybe talk about the transition to the ECHL and then walk us through uh, your experience with the team thus far. Well, I was, uh, I was fortunate in that Kyle Hood, who was the previous assistant coach here, him and I had a pretty good relationship. And, and when we found out he was leaving, there was a spot opening up within our affiliation. So it just seemed to be a natural and symbiotic fit because the ultimate goal was for me was to always get behind the bench of a professional hockey team. Um, so overall, it just kind of worked out in terms of time, place, and all that stuff, right? Like part of that is just getting lucky with timing. And my first year was definitely hectic in terms of like you kind of have to adjust because you're still doing all the travel. You're still doing this, but you're also in charge of the one-on-one -on -one meetings. You're in charge of all the pre-scouts, the post games, like just it's it, it gets to be heavy. You know what I mean? Especially like and you've got one athletic trainer one equipment manager, like when you're lucky, some guy, like sometimes you have to have one guy doing both. Um, but luckily, like I was in a position where John Scott took me in and basically gave me the reins on certain aspects of our game and, and let me just do my thing. And, and it went really well. Um, from then after that, it was a little bit tumultuous. Like we were a team that just flirted with 500 throughout the entire year. Right. And I think things had gotten stale and, management decided to make a coaching change and and when they did it was it was a little hectic it was, we were let we knew about the change like thursday at one and we played the next day at seven so it kind of was like hey bring the guys in tell them at two and then hey schultz you're kind of taking this over here and, and brent Thiessen trusted me with that which i'll be forever grateful for that experience as much as a whirlwind and chaotic aspect of my life it was it's something that I don't think you can ever be trained for until you're kind of thrown into that fire in terms of taking a season over. Um, and having that interim coach, like you really, like you feel a different sense of pressure. Like it, you definitely see it in terms of like when you're the assistant coach or the suggestion guy, right? It's a little bit different than when you're the head coach and you're the decision maker and stuff goes sideways. So it's about managing that and that stress and, and everything like that. But I'll forever be grateful for that quick experience that I had. And then COVID kind of blew that all up um, with it did with everyone else as well. So it was, uh, it was definitely a whirlwind. It was definitely fun. Um, and I can't thank my support staff enough, especially Nick Potter in terms of like keeping me sane throughout that four week process before the season came to a close. So it's uh Kansas City's definitely been a special place for me and it's like with my upbringing and growing up here, but to be able to be the head coach of their professional team, albeit for 13 games or whatever it was, it's, it's still a very cool experience for me.
yeah, still still able to say that you were in that position. And like you said, COVID came in and, and changed the plans as it has done for pretty much everybody that we've talked yeah. with on the podcast and, and people listening at home feel the same way. But um, again, the ECHL is such a, a unique experience and you do run in those situations where a quick coaching change can mean that even as an assistant coach, you're thrown right into that position and a uh, small staff, but at the same time, you're still ready to to take on that position. And, and coaching is, has been something, as you said, was always a goal of yours. And uh, I guess I want to ask you now, having worked up through the coaching ranks, kind of starting off with youth programs and going to pro and, and now obviously in your position today, um, how important do you feel it was to go through those steps? Or, and do you feel like maybe it's something that others should look to do as opposed to maybe just jumping in at a higher level? Well, I think for me, like I've got an unconventional background. Um, so for me, the path works. Like I think everyone has their own niche and own path that they need to carve. I think what was really good for me though, is I didn't necessarily have that like contract experience in terms of like, well, I'm playing junior this year. And then like, I'm looking to go to college after this and then go to pro after this. But because of the way that I went from youth hockey to Bemidji, then Maine, and, and kind of the way that that's gone, I have a very relatable sense to like what players go through, right? In terms of like, there's a nervousness to yourself. Like you have confidence in your abilities and what you're doing in your current state and where your current place is. But like all of a sudden, like you have to have these thoughts, right? In terms of like everyone has goals and aspirations, mine's to coach in the NHL one day. And I've got to figure out my path to get there. And for me, like, I went to college and I played right. And then all of a sudden, like I had my youth hockey experience Um, from there. I like, I I get to go to Bemidji and have a college experience from there. I get to go to Maine and then like, I go to the American league in a certain capacity. Right. And so like, I've kind of had that natural progression that a lot of players go through. And it, I think it allows me to relate to guys a little bit in terms of like, Hey, it is a grind and you're going to have to eat crow at times. And it's, it's going to be hard and, like, but if you want it and you want it bad enough, like and you've set your goal, like you'll find a way to eventually get there. Right. And for me, I think it's it's been really good to be able to relate to players that way. And, and for me personally, just to learn like it, it's it's all different animals. It's all different jungles. But when you get to bring all these different experiences in, it kind of rounds you out as holistically as a coach, what you like, what you don't like and and different aspects of games that you loved and different qualities of the game that you loved and hated and for me i'm just fortunate in terms of like guys took a chance and when they did i made the most of it right like i like to think of my position in terms of what do i offer a team and i want to make sure that regardless of what they sign me for they feel like they're getting return on investment tenfold right and and because of that and because of my willingness to grind i feel like i'm in this position now and it'll continue to open up opportunities for me going forward. For sure. For sure. And you talk about opening up those opportunities. Uh, I, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is even though, like you said, you, your goal was to be behind the bench. Uh, it's always not a, a, you don't just get there right away. Sometimes you got to go through the the operations or team services and, and video was one of those things that definitely played a part for you early on. And I'm sure you uh, still use it heavily today. So I guess um, just from from your experience, uh, was it really your plan to to kind of move into that, or was something that you were kind of forced into? And and just what were your initial thoughts when video was kind of the the main component, maybe early on, when your goal was ultimately to be behind the bench? Um, 
I think with my background, it was my only way, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think I could have grinded it out and, and coached AAA hockey, right? And then eventually, like, signed with a North American League team or a USHL team and, like, continue to grind it out, wait for an opportunity there and, like, just continue to progress that way. But for me, like, I think it fast-tracked things for me a little bit in terms of not just coaching but networking, which is huge in this game, right? Um, and, like, basically – Tom at Bemidji was just up front with me. He's like, like, you don't have the background that I need to be an assist, like to be the volunteer coach in the capacity that I need you to do. But like, I need someone to do the video. And like, I think operations will be your in if like you want to do this. And so took his advice and his word for it and just jumped at the opportunity when he gave it to me. And because of that and moving forward, right? Like it's, it's been my in, it's been my niche. And, and because of that, like video, like I'll be indebted to it, right? Because it was my in, it was my foot in the door. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where I don't think I ever planned on sitting in a room and like cutting a video, like cutting a game when I can be two rooms outside and be in an arena with thousands of cheering people and players and coaches. Like literally it's me and two monitors. Like, but it's kind of what you have to do when you're trying to navigate yourself through this path and and just make sure that no matter what like you're working your hardest so people understand like hey when you get that next opportunity or if an opportunity presents itself like if i take a chance on this guy regardless if it works out or not like he's definitely bringing his hard hat to work every day and he's going to be the hardest worker in the room so it's all yeah. i that's what it all comes down to right is like you just have to prove to everyone that like you're gonna work hard and and that just needs to be the forefront of everything that you do. Yeah, that's a great point. And and like you said, when you don't have the maybe the playing background or uh, previous experience in management or coaching, a lot of times that that work ethic will be your your kind of your meal ticket. And and whether video or, or uh, I've seen guys go through as an equipment manager before going into coaching, it, it, there's always different paths and. Um, the path for you, again, it has gone through some different levels and, uh, you know, college has a different schedule than the ECHL and, and the AHL is different again. So uh, maybe just talk about uh, the process of working in these different schedules and um, did your coaching and how much time you allocate to different things change um, between the different levels as a result? I mean, I think the college game as a whole, I mean, of course, the schedule is easier. Um, but the thing that you have to manage within that, though, is like these guys are also going to school, right? Like they're studying for tests. They're doing all this other stuff. So and that's not to say that guys graduate or, or leave school early and they still do their classes. But like you've got your four hours at the rink, but then you've got to invest all this other time in your personal life in terms of school and studying and just having a life outside of hockey. Right. So I think that's kind of where the college part gets hard at times on certain teams where it's just like, man, like it's a grind. And, but the nice part about college is it's so regimented, right. In terms of like, I wake up, I'm in class from eight to 10. I'm in class from 1130 to 130. I'm lifting at two. I'm at practice at three home by five and make dinner, do some homework, play some war zone or whatever video game you want to play. And then it's lather, rinse, repeat, right? Like you just continue that same thing with, 
professional hockey, like you play multiple times a week. Sometimes it's every other day. Sometimes it's four games in five days. And it's just, it's a different grind, right? Like your job then is not just be a student and be an athlete. It's legitimately like you're at the ring for four hours, but you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself going forward as to where, like as a player, from a player's perspective, right? I wish I was at the ring for only four hours, but, um, but you, you go through it and you're just like, man, like, at the rink for this four hours and then when i go home like i just got to kind of shut it down or i got to take a walk like whatever you got to do to get ready for the next game right because you're playing so often and repeatedly and and just kind of going from there and then from like the coaching aspect of things it's like in pro i feel like the biggest balance is managing guys bodies because it's like there's there's constantly game it's constant wear and tear of games it's, it's moving and stuff and college i feel like it's kind of managing a kid's mindset more than anything else like it's it's definitely mentally draining to be a college athlete um and it's one of those situations where it's like it's not saying that people aren't going through things in pro or or not having different struggles mentally or, or doing anything like that i just think the overall mental fatigue of it though just due to the amount of emotional wear and tear of the hours that you're putting in on a day-to-day basis it's it's definitely different for college like if you're asking me would i rather be mentally and emotionally tired or physically tired give me physically tired every time right like like you can rely on your brain to get you through stuff it's it's that emotional tiredness and stuff like that that i think makes college a little bit i don't want to say harder but just different in terms of the toll that it takes on you um but then like the same thing on the mental side for young prospects, right? Especially guys on entry levels. Like you start thinking like, I've been grinding it here for two years. Like when is my chance coming up? And, and I've been fortunate to be able to work with the flames and, and in turn, they, we have a mental performance coach there and, and Matt Brown, and he's been instrumental in terms of giving me perspectives on how to manage players that are going through things like that and, and trying to find their niche in their way. But the end of the day it's it's body and mind management regardless of what level you're at and it's it's a grind and it's just a matter of just picking and choosing your battles and and making sure that you're setting whichever team you are and whatever level you're up for success when it comes time for your game definitely and i think that's uh, the challenge obviously with with the game of hockey you always just want to kind of focus on that common goal and deal with everything as it comes and whether you're a player or in hockey operations it's the same way and I find a lot of times personally when I get in a situation like that where you need guidance, it's great to reach out to your contacts or people you know in the game. And the people at My Hockey Resource have kind of created a, a platform to allow people to connect with new people in the game. And whether that's assistant coaches like yourself or video coaches, uh, scouts, equipment managers, just people who are fans of the game, even in some st- uh, circumstances. So for anyone looking to connect and reach out to new people, be sure to check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Cole, one of the things they talk about on there is the actual resources that people learn from. Sometimes it could be something like XOs or sports code, but it could also be books, articles, uh, conferences, all these different things. So for you personally, what are some maybe resources that you've used over the years that you would like to recommend to listeners? Um, to be honest with you, I don't read like a lot of hockey centered books just because I feel like we're in it so often, right? That you kind of tunnel vision your perspective on things. Um, so for me, a Champion's Mind, I think, is a great book. Um, the book Toughness by Jay Billis, it kind of gives you his perspective on Duke basketball, which is painful to say as a Carolina alum. But 
it gives you it gives you really good perspectives on basically how to grind is what it is right and how to push through and how to mentally focus and then just in terms of resources for me like i'm fortunate that that i've got all these people that have done these jobs before me right and and i think the biggest thing that i would recommend to anybody like make sure you when you forge these relationships like they're not just surface relationships like i'm very fortunate in the fact there's there's a lot of really good people in the hockey world right and i've been fortunate in terms of forging relationships that allow me to pick up the phone and call whenever i have a question and that's the biggest thing like you can read and like you can see all these articles and stuff but like if you can just pick up the phone and ask like people are just an endless source of like value and information and for me like that's that's my biggest revenue stream when it comes to knowledge it's just asking and not being afraid to ask and being willing to sound dumb at times or being willing to sound like I don't want to say inept, but just not on the same level as them just to kind of find a perspective or a different thing. And, and to be honest, like a lot of it though, regardless of whether or not you get the advice that you're seeking or not, it does inspire confidence, right? Like just as a quick anecdote and an aside, when I got the interim tag last year, I was like, Oh, what, what are you talking about here? Like, I'm going to be the head coach of a professional hockey team tomorrow night you're not going to have an assistant coach. You're not going to have anything like it's just you. So me, I'm fortunate. I make two phone calls, right? It's Paul Maurice who's in the middle of a playoff hunt with Winnipeg. And he basically tells me, Hey, like when you take over a team mid season, find your biggest flaw. And then once you know what the biggest flaw is, fix the biggest flaw. And then a lot of the stuff like you'll worry about later. So I'm like, okay, perfect. So that's, that's what I did. Our track was really bad. So all we did like the next three weeks of practice was line rushes against and how do we battle it and how do we go against it? And then the second phone call I made was to red and uh, with red, it was, it was, what do I do? Like, I just, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't know what to do here. And uh, all he said to me was Schultz, are you ready for this? And it was just that air of confidence that he was able to breed in me and, made me feel comfortable with my new situation. Right. And I don't know if I would have felt that way without that phone call. So for me, like it's a pretty big deal. So I, I think that would be my best advice is just don't be afraid to pick up the phone call. Someone that, you know, loves you for one and two, you value and respect their opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listen, I think that's a, some great advice there. And just, you know, you talked about those two mentors who, who obviously have had a big impact on you and, and, you know, have helped you at numerous stages of your career. And um, in that one situation where you said it was a, a very quick turnaround and kind of a, um, a hectic situation in a sense for you while, while exciting for that opportunity, um, you know, their calming effect, I'm sure helped in and made the transition a little bit easier. And um, now in a position that you are and, and in providing that advice, uh, maybe if someone came to you looking to get a start in the game and, and was looking to see what that first step is or what that one tidbit of advice that you would give for them um, in, in coaching specifically, what's that one piece of advice that you would provide? Well, first of all, my first question back was, what's the goal? You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of guys just say, like, I want to work in hockey. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be a part of it. And, for me, like that was never my goal. My goal is to make it to the NHL, right? Like, and if I don't think if you have that guiding force, like 
you're kind of an arrow without a feather and you're just kind of floating around and you don't really have direction. Um, so establish a goal would be the first bit of advice. And then the second bit of advice is like, take the opportunity that feels right. You know what I mean? Like, like I've been afforded opportunities in, in different ways and facets and leagues and, and every single time I've just taken the opportunity that feels right. And I think going to a place that wants you is always super important. I think going to a place where you feel comfortable, but you're also going to be pushed is also very important. Right. And, and to me, that's where all the growth comes from. So put yourself in a position where you're not necessarily comfortable, go where you're wanted, but not comfortable. Like go where, you know, you're going to make mistakes, go where you understand you're going to learn and grow and, and everything else. Like as long as you have that guiding light of your goal and you understand, like, I'm going to grow in this next situation or this next facet of life. Like, I think that's the best way to handle it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it as well. And like you said, you can you can go into a lot of situations, but if you don't have the right mindset, the right goals in mind, and and the right um, you know situation to to really grow your skill set and try new things and put your best foot forward, I, I think that's ultimately what makes a good situation. So, uh, Cole, again, I just want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I know it's a game day for you, so uh, putting in extra hours here when you should be taking some time to rest. But, um, again, I just want to thank you for joining me, and I wish you all the best moving forward. Sounds good, Ryan. I appreciate your time. And to any listeners, if, if you want to chat or anything, Ryan, I'm sure, will post my Twitter handle and Instagram, or feel free to DM and shoot you a number, and we'll chat later. So thanks, man. All right. I appreciate it. All the best. All right. Appreciate it, buddy. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, Definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to again thank Cole for joining me on this episode and talking about his career and the various roles that he's held to date. It's not very often you see someone move to AHL so quickly without an elite playing background, and Cole's story shows there are many ways to move into hockey operations if you're simply willing to put in the work. If you would like to get in touch with Cole to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Luke Strand, head coach and president of hockey operations with the Sioux City Musketeers. Luke brings a wealth of knowledge to the table in terms of management and even scouting, having worked in positions from AAA all the way to the NHL, and it should generate a great conversation on hockey operations for our listeners. 
Once again, thank you everyone for listening in and helping to spread the word about the podcast as of late. There's a lot going on in hockey with playoffs and all these different things, but as we speak, we hope to continue to grow steadily and share more stories moving forward. As always, stay safe and all the best.